Welcome to Harrison Church. We're glad that you've joined us today. We're excited to announce that members and visitors can now give their tithe or donation by texting keyword HUMC and a donation amount to 73256. Again, that was HUMC and your donation amount to 73256. Follow the link in the text response in order to complete your gift. It's a great and quick way to give anywhere, anytime. This week, we finished Pastor Shane's series, Off the Grid. And today, we learn about what it means to be a generous giver. And then we hope you enjoy today's message. I will say, Lord, have your way with the words that I'm about to speak to these, your people. I want to welcome all of you here to this worship service. You can just remain standing for just a moment. You know, if you are visiting with us today, what a, what a privilege, what an honor to have you here today. I, one of the things that we've been doing for the last uh, five weeks is I've been involved in a sermon series that we've been calling Off the Grid. And what I wanted us to do these next few weeks, or last few weeks, is really kind of consider some of the, the lifestyle habits that the Bible actually calls us to incorporate into our daily lives. And if we do these things, we'll look like we live off the grid. We'll look weird. We'll look... Uh, Not in the mainstream, we will look odd. And the thing that I've really been trying to hammer home, this is sort of the sermon every week, is that Christianity, it is not just a religion, it's a lifestyle. Like the New Testament says, if we say we're Christians, we need to live. We should live like Jesus lived. And we've talked about several characteristics. And if you happen to miss any of the sermons, you can catch them online on our website at harrisonchurch.org. I commend those to you. But we got one last characteristic. It's the last sermon. Some of you know already know what I'm talking about. And you're here today. And I'm so grateful that you're here. But I want to uh, read from the book of Acts while you're standing. And then we'll talk about what we're going to talk about. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 20. I'm going to be at verse 35. You will find the words here on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, his, his last sermon to one of his congregations. And this is, these are his last words. Let's listen to what Paul said as the last word. Paul says, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with the blood of his own Son. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Some, even from among your group, will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to warn everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the message of His grace, a message that is able to build you up. Listen to that. It's able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified, those who have received the Holy Spirit. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work, we must support the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, can we say that together? It is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay. The last characteristic that I'm talking about today is that we as Christians are called to develop a lifestyle of generosity. Matter of fact, this kind of ties everything we've talked about uh, together. Now, one of the things that I want to say to you is that I said lifestyle of generosity. That's important. 
I didn't say kind of sporadic, random, whenever the emotions feel right, whenever our heartstrings are being pulled, I'll throw something in the plate. I'm talking about a lifestyle of generosity where it is planned. It is habitual. It's a habit. Because we know that if we do things habitually, it will become second nature. And all of these things happen regardless of kind of what's going on in our emotional state of mind or anything else. That, that's what I'm, I'm talking about today, to do this over the long haul. And the question I want to kind of start out with is just kind of say, like, how, how are Christians doing with this, with making it a pattern of life, habitual? I read a book a few weeks ago. Uh, it was by a sociologist, and the name of the book, I commend it to you. It's about 10 years old, though, so know that the numbers are a little old. I had never read it before, but it was called Passing the Plate, Why American Christians Don't Give Away More Money. And I saw that, I'm like, well, I have to read this. And inside this book, Michael Smith is his name, and he did a broad and really extensive study examining the giving habits of uh, Catholic Christians, Protestant Christians. And you know what? Uh, some of the results he yielded, there was so much. I had to just kind of uh, distill just a few of the main points. The first thing that he says in this book is that American Christians, our combined incomes, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, the combined incomes of American Christians are in the trillions of dollars every year, making us, sitting right here, the most prosperous Christians who have ever lived since the time of Jesus. And yet, we only give a small fraction of our money away to the church, to other causes. Fifty percent, he said, half, half of all Christians, Catholic and Protestants, give $200 or less per year to the church or to other causes. Half, $200 a year or less. That's what his research yielded. 20% of us give nothing, even though expenditures on luxury goods like cars, ice cream, electronic gadgets have skyrocketed into the hundreds of billions of dollars. And one of the things that he did say is that we've actually got the money, we're just kind of funneling it into, into other things. Now here's something I used to think, well, if I made more money, I would give more money. That's not correct, based on his findings. He did a broad, extensive survey. Those Christians who are making $10,000 a year or less, I mean, we're talking about Christians in the poverty level. These Christians are giving, on average, in relative proportion to their income, about 2%, those who make $10,000 a year or less. Those Christians who are making incomes above $70,000 a year or more are giving about 1.7% on average of overall income. So what, what that means is that the richer we get, the less we give in relation to our income. Now, here's the one thing that I thought was just funny and not funny. It's kind of sad. A hundred percent of the Christians in his survey answered, yes, I agree with this, the following question or the following statement. Everybody agree with this, that God is the owner of all that I have and my money. A hundred percent agreed. But when pressed about their giving patterns, almost 100% of them said, my money is mine to do what I want to with, and I'm not changing my lifestyle to give more. God owns everything. I can do whatever I want to, and I ain't changing a thing in my life. And one of the things he said to the pastors, he said, pastors, good luck with that one. He says, the majority of the Christians and the churches in the United States are living in a total contradiction. Total contradiction. 
we got to reverse this. we got to bring it online through things. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. Now, I can remember being a layperson like you, coming to church on a Sunday morning, <laughs> especially our visitors with us today, and I would hear the preacher say, today I'm going to talk about giving and money and generosity, and the very first thing I would think of is, oh, God, no, why did I come? No. No. And, and see, see, now I'm on this side of the altar it's like, if you're thinking that way right now, be careful. God might actually call you to preach this. <laughs> Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? But see, but now that I'm on this side, I, I'm, just, I'm really leveling with you all morning long. Is that now I know that when the Bible talks about money and generosity, it's not about the church. It's not about giving to a building. It's not about giving to all these things, as important as those are. It's about your soul. Every time... The issue, the, the instance of money appears. It's about us. It's about our soul. It's about our relationship with God. That's what it's about. You've got to hear this. You know, Paul, in our lesson I just read to you, he quotes this very, his last words to his congregation is a quote from Jesus that you actually don't find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And it was the quote where Jesus said, it is more blessed to what? Give than it is to receive. That's the last thing Paul wanted his church to know. In other words... Jesus loves receivers. All of us have to receive. That's necessary in life. Got to eat. We're receiving all that. But Jesus Christ has blessed the givers. God loves the receivers. We all have to be receivers. But Jesus Christ is going to bless those who give. It's about us. It's about our relationship with God. Now, of course, many of you uh, know this. Uh, Some of you may not, that when uh, you read the Gospels, one of the things that Jesus talks about almost as much as any other subject is money. What I've heard a lot of preachers do, including in the Methodist church, is that they'll say things like, well, you know, money, if you think about your money, uh, your money is just a tool. That's all it is. It's just a thing. Uh, it's neither inherently bad. It's not inherently good. It, it's just amoral. It's, it's just a thing. Have you ever heard this before? Just a tool? I don't agree with this. Because when you study the words of Jesus, Jesus did not refer to money as just a tool. It's a power. It's like, it's got tremendous power. It's like the Lord of the Rings, you know, the ring that everybody, the the ring fell in their hands and they were just hypnotized by it, except little Frodo. Even then he couldn't let it go. It's a power. Jesus actually referred to money as like a God. Anybody know what he called it, especially in the King James Version? You cannot serve God in what? Mammon. He personalized it. He gave it a face. He gave it a name. It's got power. And the thing that Jesus says about money, it's not a tool. He says it's almost like a power that rivals the power of God. It's like money will say to you, hey, trust me. And yet the God of the Scripture says to us, what? Trust me. The God of the Bible says, hey, hey, don't be afraid. There's more than enough. I will provide for you. And yet money says, you better be afraid. And you need more of me. God in the, uh, in the psalm says, I am your strength and I am your security. And yet your money will say to you, I'm your strength. I'm your security. It's a power. This is why we don't like hearing sermons on money when we come to church. This is why we do not like talking to our friends and family about our money because it's got power over us. We never seem that way in a lot of other things, though. We're free to talk about it. But that we don't want to shows us it's got power. I mean, you think about the whole course of human history. Isn't the whole course of human history one civilization trying to solve the money problem? 
It's always about economics. And there's just one thing that the Bible says that we can do that will neutralize the power of money over us because it is a power. And that is to give a portion of it away. It's the only thing that's going to neutralize the power of money. That's it. Nothing else. If you hold on to it, oh, it'll get you. Uh, Someone once said that uh, when we give, that is the only act where we allow, I love this, where we allow grace to penetrate into this world of ours where money will tell us that the whole world exists only for competition, buying, and selling. Uh Uh-uh. When you and I give, we let our currency (laughs) flow in a different way. We, We actually allow grace to flow through us. We allow goodness to flow like a current through us into this world. And we say, nah, the world doesn't just exist for buying and selling. There's some grace that's to be had in this world. That's, that's the reason, man, you find, and you got to give, give, because you neutralize the grip that money will have over you. Now, one of the things that I find very interesting, all right, we should give because it neutralizes mammon, that power, that rival power to God. But I think one of the reasons Jesus in our passage says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, the reason you find, you know, the the lifestyle of generosity encouraged throughout the Scripture is if you think about it, and I've never heard a preacher say this before, so uh, you have to give me some feedback on this if it makes any sense. So here I I go into uncharted waters. I've never heard this, but I think one of the reasons we're called to be generous is because we live in a generous universe created by a generous God. The universe is structured in generosity. It's made by a generous God. I mean, God didn't have to make you. God was fine without the world, but he, out of his generosity, out of the abundance of his love, you and I came to be. John three sixteen, God so loved the what? The world that he gave. His only begotten Son. Last week on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. God gave us a share in His own life. Right? God is generous. And God created the universe in His image, or like His image, we're created in His image, to be generous as well. The universe is generous. I mean, think about this. Maybe children can understand this. Think about the sun. Right? The sun gives what to us? It's light. It turns into heat which turns into life. You think about the water cycle in the world, right? Water evaporates, the atmosphere takes it, clouds form, but what do the clouds eventually do? They give back in the form of rain. Think about an apple tree or any kind of fruit tree, you know, unless you're the Wizard of Oz trees, you know what those trees were, you know? I mean, you think about an apple tree, an apple tree does not keep its apples for itself, does it? It doesn't say, get away from me, mine! Apples are like for things that aren't the tree. Of course, it's used for seeds. I get all that, but they don't, they don't hold it themselves. I mean, think about, think about your breathing right now. Right, if I told you, let's just inhale for the next 15 minutes, what would happen? You will suffocate. You've got to breathe in, but you've also got to do what? You have to breathe out. Astrophysicists, I love watching guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson. They say there's a mystery going on in astrophysics that the universe is actually expanding. It's a mystery. We don't know why, but it's actually expanding. It is not contracting at all. It's going outward. It's not going inward. 
You know, think about closed systems in the universe. Anything that's closed in the universe, what happens to the energy in a closed system? It dies. It begins to fade away. It's why you've had water. If you put water in a bucket, you just fill it up. After about four weeks, what will happen to it? It'll just be stagnant. You know, you, water's got to flow somewhere else. So my, my, my point in all of this is to say, okay, so since we live in a generous universe... Since everything in the universe, unless it's closed, is, is open and there's life going through it. As a matter of fact, the only thing I could think of this week that was a closed system that only sucks everything in, it doesn't give anything back, it's a black hole. Right? And since everything is open in the universe, that means that if you and I are generous people, it means we are going to flourish in a generous universe. Am I making any sense? Right? We gotta, it's not just about, you know, we, we can't just breathe in. It can, our lives cannot be in a generous universe just about taking. There's got to be a breathing in and a breathing out. There's got to be an earning, yes, but there's also got to be a giving. And if we're closing ourselves off from that, right, if, our, if our life is a closed system where everything comes in and nothing gets out, then what, what happens is that we, we, will, we will lose energy over time. You were created to give. God actually designed you in a generous universe to be generous. It's a part of your design. This is why uh, stingy people are always so negative. You know this. Stingy people. You can always spot them. Always complaining about everything. Never satisfied about anything. Everything's wrong. And the world for them is just so small. If only we could have more. You know, and, 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 and this is one of the reasons that we call stingy people misers. You ever heard the word miser before? You take the word miser. What kind of English word can you take for miser? Miserable. See, misers are miserable people. And the reason that misers are miserable is because they live in a closed system and, and no energy can escape. There's nothing that can come out of their lives and they begin to slowly fade over time. But this is not how givers see the world. You see, generous people, they, they realize that, wow, by living a generous lifestyle, I got purpose in my life. See, see generous people know that they were created by a generous God to exist within a generous universe. Everything receives and gives. And generous people know that the more generous they are, the more fully alive they become. They're operating with the grain of the universe. It's generous. Think about the, uh, the first book of the Bible. What's the first book of the Bible? Genesis. From the word Genesis, you can actually get the word generosity. I just, that just occurred to me this week. It's like, yes. In other words, to be generous, this is the point of my sermon, to be generous is to experience your genesis, what God created you for. To, to be generous is to experience your generous. And this is why if the statistics that I said to you in that book are even remotely true, this is why the people, the Christians, who aren't living a generous life, man, they don't realize it. Maybe you don't realize it. You're robbing yourself. You're, 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 you're taking the good energy that could be flowing through you and you're stifling it. 
and you don't realize, man, that Jesus has blessed those. You are missing the blessings. Jesus said, I will bless those who give. They will walk in my blessings. That's what generous people do. They're blessed. Don't we want to be blessed by God? That's how we do it. One of the questions I was thinking about asking, like, okay, so how do we do this? Um, how, do we, how do we develop, cultivate a lifestyle of generosity? I actually think maybe the better question uh, that we should ask is, wait a minute, so where does generosity actually begin in the Christian faith? Like, where, where does it begin? And I'm going to share this with you. According to the Scriptures... According to United Methodist teaching, generosity, a lifestyle of generosity starts, it begins with what the Bible calls a tithe. It begins with a tithe. That's a fancy, fancy old English word, tithe. Have you ever heard this word before, a few of us? Anybody not wish they'd ever had heard this? Uh, tithe means a tenth. It means 10%. 10% of what? Your income. <laughs> okay. But according to the United Methodist Church, it says the minimum goal of generosity is the tithe, 10%. That's where it starts. I've heard some pastors, they'll talk about the tithe as like the, the top of Mount Everest. Oh, you made it. Like you got to the ceiling. But I'm going to be off the grid this morning, and I'm going to say what we think is the ceiling is actually the floor. It starts with a tithe, 10%. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your income or what you have received. And that's the thing, man. When you tithe, when you take 10%, what you're saying to God is, well, you don't need the money, O oh Lord, but I, I'm going to give back to you just a portion of what I have received from you. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to make sure that I can live on the rest. That's what this is about. It's not about God. It's not about the church. It is about you. And I'm telling you, if you want to be really wacko, if you really want to be off the grid as a Christian, do what very few people seem to be doing, tithe. It'll change everything. Now, I can remember, I remember being in your, in your shoes years ago, years ago, and I, the first time I heard about the tithe, I can remember where I was. I can almost remember the Sunday it was. It must have been traumatic. And I remember... The very first response that I had to this, I was mad. And then it turned into guilt. And then it turned into excuse making. I was like, okay, 10%. Uh, I was at Chili's, a lot of you know this. I was just a cook in a restaurant, didn't make a lot of money. And uh, okay, so that works out real well. I guess the church needs more money for the budget or the pastor needs more money or, or whatever. And that was my excuse, and then I realized once again, it's not about the church, it's about me. It was about me. You know, what I had been doing in the, until that moment is that, you know, I would just buy whatever I wanted to. i get paid, i just buy everything, and then whatever was left over, I might give to the church. And what I had to realize to do, if like, if I was really going to do this, if, if God is really right about this, i got to be like an hourglass, like, i got to turn my budget into an hourglass. What do you do with an hourglass? You've you got to flip it upside down. And then I did this, and then I realized I was actually tithing. I just didn't know it. I was just tithing to repo records. I was tithing to Time Warner, you know? It wasn't Time Warner Cablevision then, yeah. I was doing this, 
you, you got to change what you're, you're doing, and, and, and i got to tell you, I'm going to be up front with you. You know, if you look at my, my budget, if you look at my wife's budget, the very first thing you'll see on the top line is our tie to the church, 10%, right off, first thing. And we say we're going to trust God to live on the rest. And you know what? For those of you who are doing this, you know this, you can't lose. It sounds like I'm first time I heard this, I'm going to the poorhouse. It's over. No, it's because you're operating with the grain of the universe. You can't lose. Jesus said, I will bless you if you are a giver. We want to be blessed. Proverbs eleven twenty five. I'm almost done. Here's Proverbs eleven twenty four. It says, one person gives freely and receives all the more, while another holds back and loses everything. A generous person, the next verse, will be enriched, and one who gives water will be refreshed with water. You know, we are, the very first sermon that I preached on was on simplicity. And what I've discovered by uh, tithing to the Lord, <laughs> that, will make you sim- that will simplify your life by default. It will just do it. And you know what will happen to you? Is that when you begin to do this all the time, you will develop what the Bible calls a generous eye, a bountiful eye. In other words, you, you, you will see the world differently. You know, ungenerous people, they, they see the world as a very scary, scarce place. There's not enough. We need to hold on to more. Uh-uh. Generous people, they're working with the grain of the universe. They realize that, no, 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 there's plenty. There's, there's enough. I can actually give a portion of it away, and I'm going to be fine. You'll get a bountiful eye. Don't you want a bountiful eye? Nobody sees the world like this, but God's people can. God's people can. And I'm going to end by saying to you the most important thing. If you want to make this a lifestyle of yours, and some of you, you know, you're in situations right now where you're hearing me and you've you got all kinds of questions. I understand that. I understand that. The thing, though, is that you've got to plan this. You kind of got to know, you got to know where your money's going. I mean, are you tithing to repo records? I mean, as I did, you got to know where it's coming from. And then, and then you just make a plan. Some of you are struggling. I, I know. And we're, we're, I'm offering a class this summer to help you. That's helped me. Take the class. This is not about guilt. This is not to guilt you. I'm just trying to, to talk about something that's going to get us blessed by, by the Lord. And he said, blessed are those who give you got to plan it. Don't be sporadic. Don't be just willy-nilly here and there. Make this a habit, and you will grow a bountiful eye. Last thing I'll share with you is my favorite illustration. It goes back about 3,000 years from a rabbi who was studying the land of Israel, and he said this. There are two seas in the land of Israel. The Sea of Galilee. Anybody know the other one? And the Dead Sea. Both seas receive water from the same source, the Jordan River. One sea receives but does not give to another source. And it is dead. The other sea receives from the Jordan and then feeds another source. And it is full of life. To receive and not to give is to die but to receive and to give 
is to be full of life. My friends, I'm excited about this. Be full of life. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at harrisonchurch.org.